and pro- This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. They began over 2,500 years ago, and winning was everything, and defeat was humiliating. There were no team sports then, no awards for second or third, no silver or bronze, no awards for trying... No, you either won or you're lost. You either got glory and immortality or very great discouragement. Winners were worshipped as heroes, even gods. Even their sweat was sacred, and it was scraped from their bodies, bottled and sold as a magic portion. The ancient Greeks revered those who could take punishment and loved the most brutal events their Olympians could display. They were absolutely fascinated by the intensity of sport. And for 1,200 years, those bloody spectacles were thought to be the most pleasing to their god, Zeus, the supreme god of Olympus. And so they were staged right in front of his sacrificial altar there at Mount Olympus. And today, we begin the Olympics. The 2020 Olympics that have been delayed until 2021, and they begin today. The Olympic ideal has developed into a mixture of competition and theater, and it's easily the most powerful movement today attempting to shepherd this world that you and I know toward peace and unity, in other words, globalism. The modern revival of the Olympic Games was initiated by a fellow by the name of Baron or Baron Pierre de Corbeton, back in 1894, a Frenchman. He said, we must once again organize Olympic Games. Let us bring the nations together. Coubertin believed that international sports could promote world peace, and his efforts led to the formation of the International Olympic Committee. His hope for world peace was openly reflected in the Olympic Charter where the principles of the Olympic Committee are outlined to contribute to building a peaceful and better world by educating you through sport practiced without discrimination of any kind and in the Olympic spirit, which requires mutual understanding. In fact, Coubertin so strongly believed in the power of men to forge this ideal that he has been referred to as the Olympic Humanist. Well, what does that mean? You might think, well, that's a humanitarian, that's praiseworthy. But Webster's Encyclopedic Dictionary of the English Language gives us a definition of humanitarian that might be a little different than what you would expect. Here's what it says. One who has great regard or love for humanity, a philanthropist, one who denies the divinity of Jesus Christ and believes him to have been a mere man, one who maintains the perfectibility of human nature without the aid of grace. And here's what Willie Morris wrote about the ancient Olympia and the connection with Coubertin. He said the Olympic Games of ancient Greece were inherently religious rites. For me, sport was a religion, Baron de Coubertin professed with religious 
sentiment. So, Coubertin is the humanistic father of the Olympic movement. The first modern games were held in 1896 in Athens, right there in ancient Greece, where the Apostle Paul found himself a number of times, and they were held in front of 60,000 people. A century later, the Summer Olympic Games in Atlanta were the most spectacular global event in history. Nothing even came close. The opening ceremonies were beamed to a global audience then at 3.5 billion people. And cable news networks reported that there were more members of the media in Atlanta than there were athletes. <laughs> well, companies began to scramble to associate their product with the Olympics for the right to be official sponsors, and they each paid $40 million. And that was then. And these sponsors unanimously propagated Coubertin's idea that the best thing that could happen is for this world to become one, thus a one-world order. And what we saw was coordinated, sophisticated campaign to convey a message. The world peace can be brought about through the Olympics. Well, today on Viewpoint, we're not going to spend more time looking at the Olympics in history nor are we going to spend time trying to portray the entire Olympic enterprise as nothing but a pagan orgy. Some would do that, but we're not going to do that today. Rather, we're going to do what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul knew what the Olympics were about. He actually was in Athens. He knew about Mount Olympus. In fact, there were many things about the Apostle Paul that revealed that he actually embraced much of the spirit of the competition. He did. You know how we know that? Because he talked about it. He wrote about it in his epistles. He talked about his own faith. He said, so run that you may obtain, and run with purpose, and run without hindrance. Lay aside every weight that is upon you, and let's run with patience and endurance the race that is set before us. And we're supposed to run with regard to a reward. And even with regard to recognition, all of these things we find in the Bible, and the Apostle Paul was the premier writer of most of these things. Although David himself talked about running in the way of God's commandments. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to talk about Olympic faith. Olympic faith. And I hope that you'll stay tuned. Over the past, over the next uh, two weeks or so, during the course of the Olympics, we are going to do at least three programs. We're going to talk about what it means to go for the gold. From God's perspective, what does it mean to go for the gold? We're going to talk about Olympic living. How to be a victor and not a victim. Today, we talk about Olympic faith. And I hope that you will find yourself greatly encouraged whether or not you have ever been an athlete. Now, there are different levels of athletics. Some have become professional athletes. Some became athletes in junior high school or high school and then on into college and then some to professional sports. But the reality is you don't have to have ended up being a professional or a college great in order to be an athlete. 
It's interesting because in junior high school, I was the smallest person on the track team. I measured only 4 feet 11 and a half inches tall at that time as I left the 8th grade. Not even 5 feet. Did not even weigh 100 pounds. And yet, when they had a pentathlon, which was our junior high school uh, analogous event to the decathlon, I won the pentathlon. How did I do that? Well... It was overall physical ability and skill. Not the greatest in any particular event, but all around. And many of us find ourselves in that kind of position. We're not really the greatest in any particular event or any particular aspect. But really, God is calling us to be well-rounded with Olympic faith. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Are you running the race that is set before you? Or are you a couch potato? A spiritual couch potato? Or even a physical couch potato? You see, the Bible tells us that we are to run the race that is set before us, and by implication, that means you and I have a race that is set before us. Now, you may not think yourself to be the fastest pair of legs in the planet, but you do have a pair of legs. Most do. And that means you and I are called to run. In fact, the scripture says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary and walk and not faint. There's even an event in the Olympics called power walking. I see people power walking all the time, not quite the way the Olympians do, but they're out there power walking, and every once in a while, I'll make a comment, a facetious comment to someone, say, just remember, the Olympics are just a week away. You better get moving. And they laugh. But the reality is, there is a greater Olympics that you and I are facing. In fact, there is a crowd of many witnesses, a great crowd of witnesses that is cheering us on. But are we worthy to be cheered on? Are we actually in the race? Now, if you're not actually in the race, you can't finish the race. And this is one of the problems that people have with regard to the Christian faith. Many people say, oh, I, I'm in the race. I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at a Billy Graham rally 40 years ago. Okay, that's great. Now what? What did you do? Have you been running the race since then? Oh, no, I was told that all I had to do was just to confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, and that was the end of the race. I'm in. No. If that were true, then why does the Apostle Paul continue to tell us that we need to run the race that is set before us? Why did Jesus say, he that endures to the end shall be saved? You see, once you enter the race, you are told to run the race. 
And if you drop out, you dropped out. That's called falling away or apostasy. And we don't want to fall away, do we? We want to run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, Yeshua, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured all of the pain of running the race. That's what the Bible says right there in Hebrews 12. And because he endured to the end, he made it possible for you and for me to endure to the end. And if we really would endure to the end, we would then be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, you may not want to present another kind of race with different kinds of rules, but those are the rules that the Bible presents. David, a man after God's own heart, wrote in Psalm 119, verse 32, he said, run the way of the commandments. So he said, I will run the way of your commandments, Lord. I will run the way of your commandments. Interestingly, in the book of Revelation, at the end of the book, you see, in chapter 14, it says, those are blessed who keep the commandments and the faith of Jesus. Those are the ones who are going to be blessed. Those who run the way of the commandments and keep the faith of Jesus. So it's a both-and thing. Here's the problem that we have. When you run a race, there is a determined course. And this is true whether or not you're in a sprint, like the 100-meter dash, or whether you're in a distance run, such as uh, 800 meters or uh, uh, 5,000 meters or whatever distance it is, or even a marathon. There are rules for running the race, and there is a defined course to be run. A defined course. You can't just run anywhere you want. You can't make up your own race. You have to run the race that's defined and set before you. So many professing Christians are trying to make up their own race. They don't like the course that's been set before them. They think it's too hard. So they'll take the easy way out. Maybe they'll try to take shortcuts and cut across the course so they don't have to run the whole thing and make it look like they ran the whole thing, thinking somehow they can fool God. It doesn't work that way. In fact, let me just let you in on some specifics concerning uh track and field, and particularly the issue of running. And I urge you, by the way, as a Christian, I urge you to watch some of the track and field events during the Olympics. You can learn a lot. You can ask the Lord to reveal to you what you need to learn from it. Forget about the pagan origins. Just learn what you can learn, just like the Apostle Paul did which he translated into the Bible, even though the Olympics had a pagan origin. So here's some of the things that we need to know. First of all, there is a specific distance that has to be run. It depends on the particular race. Now, let's suppose that you are given a 400-meter race. That is virtually one round around the track or about a quarter of a mile, approximately. And let's suppose that you run all but the last 100 yards. 
Did you run the race? No. You didn't run the race. You quit. Therefore, can you be, can it be attributed to you that you finished the race? No. So then why is it that we, as professing Christians, try to tell people that God's grace will overlook the fact they didn't finish the race? Or that they tried to run a different race than the one God set before them? And tried to make different rules than the ones that God set? You see, these things will really preach. And if we really want to have Olympic faith, we're going to have to do it God's way. Because faith is a long obedience in the same direction. That's what faith is. It's taking God at his word, not some other word, not making up our own word, but taking God at his whole word and then running the race that he defines. So there is a specific distance that has to be run. And you and I are to keep our eyes on that goal. Don't take your eyes off the goal like Peter did, and you'll sink. No, we have to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. Because he is at the end. We don't quit in the meantime until he returns. Next, there are lanes that define where you must confine your participation in the race. If you step outside of your lane during the requisite requirement that you be in that lane, you are immediately disqualified. In the Olympic trials, I happen to watch a number of people disqualified who were eminently qualified to be in the Olympics, but were disqualified because they stepped over the line in uh, out of their lane before they were permitted to do so according to the rules. You say, well, that's harsh. Well, do you think that God is going to permit you to step outside of his lines before you finish the race? That somehow he can tell you to uh, follow the Lord with a whole heart, lean not to your own understanding, but then he'll let you get by with leaning to your own understanding and doing it your way. Like Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way. No, that's not God's way. Do you know that failure to stay inside the lane kept Moses from the promised land? That's right. God told him to speak to the rock the second time around to bring water to the Hebrew people. And he was so angry that instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. In fact, he struck it twice. And God said, okay, I'm going to give him the water, but you're not going into the promised land. Moses even begged God to let him into the promised land. And God said, don't, don't even talk to me about it anymore. You didn't honor me in front of the people. Now, these are the kinds of things that we need to understand from the Bible. And they're not really taught much in the church today. Why? Because we have a cult, totally different kind of race that we're trying to lead the people to run. One that they decide to run. And the way they want to run it. If they want to divorce their spouse, even though Jesus said whoever divorces their spouse causes them to commit adultery, they say, yes, but. And so they get run their own race, and they get out of their lane, and they think they should be qualified because 30 years before they profess Christ as their Savior. And yet they don't repent. There's not even a remorse. 
Another requirement is that you must not leave the starting blocks until the starting gun goes off. What happens if you do? The entire group of runners will be called back to start again. That's very exhausting, by the way. But if it happens again, you'll be disqualified. In other words, there are rules about running the race. God has his rules. And he wants us to run the way of his commandments, not the way of man's rules and guidelines, not the way we think it should be done like humanitarians, but the way he thinks it should be done as the creator of humankind. So we run the way of the commandments according to the rules, and we run the determined course. Next, we have to decide to run. You can, you can know all about uh, the Olympics. You can know all about the various uh, activities. You can know about the uh, uh, running long jump. You can know about the high jump. You can know about the hammer throw. You can know about uh, uh, the 200-meter dash. You can know about all these things. But you have to enter the race. In other words, you have to decide to run. Now, a lot of people, they, they want to be runners. They want to be Christians. You see, they, they want to be in there. They want to feel like they're part of the group of Christians, but they don't really want to enter the race. There are various reasons why they don't want to enter the race, and one of them is they don't want to run the way of God's commandments. They just don't. And they don't want to run the same course. They want to run different courses. So if they get tired running the 400 meters, they want to consider that if they ran 100 meters, then they qualified because they ran 100 meters. No. If you decide to run the race, then you must enter the race that you decided to run. And then you have to finish it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Next, you have to run with purpose. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, we find the Apostle Paul talking about running. He said, I don't even consider myself to have already attained. But this one thing I do, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark. Now, before we go further, I want to uh, take us back to a film that took place uh, reminding us of a dramatic event that took uh, place in the 1924 Olympics. You know it as the famous film Chariots of Fire, where Eric Little, a Scottish runner who also was an extremely godly man, was entered in his country's Olympic entrance there in Berlin. But he wouldn't run on the Sabbath. He said, that's God's day of rest, and I won't run on the Sabbath. The president of his country, the head of the Olympics for his country, did everything they could to get him to rationalize and pressure doing what Eric Little's conscience 
refused to allow him to do, and that was to run on the Sabbath. He said, I'm not going to do it. And it was going to cost him his entry into the Olympics, and he was willing to take that cost. Because, you see, there is a cost of discipleship. No matter how skilled you might be, no matter how great a pastor and elocution you might have, there is a cost to tell the whole truth. And nothing but the truth, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what anybody else tries to urge you to do in order to be popular. Eric Little was willing to not only lose the fame and recognition from his own country, but to lose the international fame that he would get to gain the glory of God. How about you? We'll be right back. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. After a year-long delay, the Tokyo Olympics opening ceremony is scheduled right around the corner here. Before athletes begin competing for podium positions, before they can dream of shattering records, they will take part in the game's largest spectacle. There are not going to be any fans, though. They're all prohibited. So only the participants... But it's not usually like that. The Bible says that when we run the race that is set before us as Christians, there is a great cloud of witnesses. Question. As you're running the race that is set before you, what are the witnesses thinking? I want you to think about this. What are the witnesses, this great cloud of witnesses, thinking? Are they thinking that you are truly running the race that is set before you? Are, you? are they thinking that you are really living by faith? Are they thinking that you are running with purpose? Do they have any conviction that you really want to run this race? That you have your heart in it? That you're actually running to obtain the prize? Interesting. Well, one of the greatest movies of all time came out in 1981 called Chariots of Fire. Eric Little was the main character. He said after one race to the fans that were gathered around him, you came to see a race today. 
to see someone win, and it happened to be me. But I want you to do more than just watch a race. I want you to take part in it. I want to compare faith to running in a race. And it's hard. It requires concentration of will, energy of soul. You experience elation when the winner breaks the tape, especially if you've got a bet on it. They laughed. But how long does that last? You go home. Maybe your dinner's burned. Maybe you haven't got a job. So who am I to say, believe, have faith in the face of life's realities? Little went on to say, I would like to give you something more permanent. But I can only point the way. I have no formula for winning the race. Everyone runs in their own way. Has their own way. Where does the power come from? To see the race to its end, he said. From within. Jesus said, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. If with all your hearts you truly seek me, you shall ever surely find me. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, he said, then that is how you run a straight race. I'd like you to hear from Eric Little. Straight from Chariots of Fire. It's a short little uh, stint here, but I want you to hear his own words. Listen very, very carefully, because as this begins, it begins on the Olympic track, just before Eric Little is given the opportunity by other teammates not to run on the Sabbath, but to run a different race than he was prepared to run, the 400 meters. Just before he got into the starting blocks, the American fastest man, Charlie Haddock, uh, came over to him. I'm looking at a picture of him right now. The American runner, fastest man on earth, they said, came over to Eric Little, took his hand, and put a piece of paper in his hand. Would you like to know what was on that paper? Eric Little opened it just as he was entering the starting blocks, and here's what it said. Them that honor me, I will honor. The words of God to the prophet Samuel, right there in the book of Samuel, them that honor me, I will honor. Before we go on to watch this race audibly as we can, I want to ask you a rhetorical question. Are you running the race in such a way as to honor God? Or are you looking for some other kind of honors? Just asking. And so, without much more ado, let's see what we can do, if at all possible. Working on this. Listen carefully. That 
starting gun. And the crowd roars. So where does the power come from to see the race to its end? From within. God had an even bigger race for Eric Little to run because he was preparing to go to China as a missionary. But before he did, he had to fulfill another calling because he said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I want to ask you a question. What has God made you to be something unusual, different than other people. We're all different. What has he ordained for you to do and to be? Maybe he hasn't made you fast like Eric Little. Maybe you wouldn't feel his pleasure when you run. But how about when you do some other things that he's called you to do, but you haven't really gotten about to do them? And so you're discouraged. You really haven't felt his pleasure. Can I make a confession to you? It was a thrill for me to pass the bar of the state of California after four years of study, agonizing study while working full-time. It was a gift to be able to practice law for 20 years. But when the Holy Spirit spoke to me in 1992, saying, Son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough. I want you to plead my cause in the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation, America's greatest crisis hour here on the near edge of the second coming. And I said, Yes, sir. I had no idea what the implications of that race would be. I wanted to stay on course, but I had to learn what the course was. I wanted to run and not be weary, but I didn't know exactly how I was to get into this, and I had to trust the Lord to do it. But looking back, my wife would testify on my behalf that I have never looked back. 
Because when I come before you here on the microphone every day, it is as if God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. There is something about coming before you here every single day on the microphone with fresh messages that is thoroughly enervating, even though it can be exhausting and tiring, as it is with running a race. I hope it's that way for you. And if not, I ask you to ask the Lord to reveal to you where you maybe have gotten out of your lane. Maybe you quit. May I share something with you if you've never seen the film Chariots of Fire? Early on in the film, Eric Little is running uh, in a countryside race that's been set up as sort of an informal kind of a thing. And uh, they see him as Scotland's fastest wing. He played uh, football or soccer. And uh, uh, he was just uh, kind of revered by the young people around. So he's in this race, and it's on grass, believe it or not. And he's running, and he's leading, and then all of a sudden, he's tripped. It appears that he was tripped by another runner. And he falls. And he rolls. And the film goes into slow motion. And you can see Eric Little rolling now. He had been running as fast as he could, and now he's rolling and thinking to himself, now what do I do? It's all over, isn't it? I should just leave the field and quit. But then he says, no. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to run the race. And he did. And because of the tremendous spirit that he had, he actually won the race. When are you going to get up? You've fallen down. When are you going to get up and get back in the race? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, what a delight it is to come before you every single day here on Viewpoint to talk about the things that matter most. They matter most to God. They may not matter most to the world out there, but they matter most to God. And he wants us to run the race. He's defined the race that he wants us to run. He wants us to run the way of his commandments. He wants to run the 
us to run the determined course that he set before us. He wants us to keep our eyes on Jesus. He wants us to run to obtain a prize. He wants us to run with purpose. And he wants us to run without hindrance. And we're to lay aside every sin and the weights that do so easily beset us. And to run with patience and endurance. Then, he wants us to determine the reward. The Apostle Paul writes about this. Obviously, he was translating the spirit of the Olympics, which he had experienced there in Greece. He didn't translate the pagan spirit of it. He translated the spiritual implications of it for Christians. It's right there in his writings, the epistles. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26, he said, we must run with certainty. If we don't run with certainty, then we run with uncertainty. And you cannot win if you run with uncertainty. If you're always hesitant and always second-guessing, can you imagine what one of these Olympians would do if they're always second-guessing whether they should be in the race, whether they should stay in their lane, whether they should do this? No, 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 no. They prepared, and they are running determined to win. As we already quoted from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Question, are you waiting upon the Lord? Don't answer too quickly. If you're not spending quality time in his word every single day, you are not honest in saying you're waiting upon the Lord. You eat every day, don't you? An athlete is going to eat every day, is going to eat the proper food, and isn't going to live on Twinkies and Cocoa Puffs. So how come you're living on Twinkies and spiritual Cocoa Puffs? How come you're looking for little gospel pills that tell you what you want to hear every day and are not eating strong meat that will enable you to create the spiritual muscles that will enable you to endure to the end? How come? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul tells us that we need to run with determination. It's not enough just to run. You've probably seen people out there, they call it jogging, but you'd wonder what in the world are these people doing? They're neither running nor jogging. It's almost like they're waltzing or something. They don't, they don't go out there with purpose and they don't have determination. They just really don't have a goal. They're not running with purpose and with certainty and with strength. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, we're told to run by faith. That's the only way a Christian could truly run. Faith is not something I have, it's something I do. Faith is acting on the Word of God. Now, our three words that go together, they're a trilogy of words that help us to understand the meaning of faith. One of the words is faith, another is belief, and the third is trust. All three of those words 
come from the same root. You cannot say you live by faith and are running by faith if you don't trust God. You cannot say that you believe if you're not trusting God. You see, to believe means to act on what you say you believe. That's faith. So we need to have this trilogy of understanding. There are different facets of the same thing. Trust, faith, and belief. And when we are operating in those, we can run by faith. Now, the interesting thing is the Bible says the race doesn't go to the swift. Not just to the swift. It goes to the one who doggedly and determinedly finishes the race. No matter what anybody else is doing or saying. As I have watched a number of the Olympic tryouts in the area of track and field over the past several months, I cannot remember a single person who entered a race that did not finish it unless they had such an injury that they absolutely could not finish it. Even if they were a whole lap behind, they still finished the race. And that's what God's looking for from you and from me. It's not a competition with our brothers and sisters in Christ. No. It's whether or not we're faithful and running with intent to win. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul talked about how uh, he had run the race he had fought a good fight. He had finished his course. And therefore, he said, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. In another place, he says, now, these people all run in the Olympics. They run for just an earthly little crown. In fact, it's just kind of like a wreath kind of a thing. Has absolutely no physical value whatsoever. Its value is only in the fact that you were you received it because you won. But Paul says, look, our reward is far, far greater than that. It's an eternal crown of righteousness that the Lord will give to those who finish the race and who are steadfast and endure to the end. So we have to have a commitment to finish, no matter what. Now, that problem, that's going to become a very difficult problem for many. As we see the day of the Lord's return approaching, the race is going to get much steeper and more difficult. There are going to be a lot of uphills. It's not going to be running on a track anymore. There's going to be a lot of uphill running, like on a marathon. And it can get really tough. It can become like the Tour de France uh, with the bicycle race that goes on for however many days. It's just grueling, grueling, grueling every single day. Life could very well become very much like that for many of us in the days to come because this world is not a friend of grace. This world 
has its own Olympic committee that is intent on trying to disqualify you from life and will do everything it can to keep you from running the race by faith, but to depend, rather, on the promises of secular government and a one-world order. That's what's coming. Even the founder of the Olympics declared that to be the case. But for now, we're not looking at that aspect. We're looking at the faith aspect and analogizing, just as the Apostle Paul did, so that you and I can become victors and not victims. And we're going to do a whole program next week, Olympic Living, How to Be a Victor and Not a Victim. Next, and as we wrap up here, we want to be able to delight in the recognition When Eric Little won that famous race in 1924, I tell you, the whole place erupted. Do you know why the place erupted? First of all, he won against competition that was supposed to win. That's the first thing. The second thing is, he had stood his ground with Christian convictions, and the whole world now knew about it. And he was willing to lose his place in the Olympics to keep his place for the crown of righteousness before the Lord. How many people are like that today? Not many. I do know of one Jewish man who said that he would not compete in the Olympics on the Sabbath. Made that known right up front to his nation. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we're to run to glorify God before witnesses. He tells us there's a whole cloud of witnesses. And they're watching. They're cheering us on. Like the people in the stands. You heard the roar of people in the stands as Eric Little was making the round on that 400-meter run and led the field. And it was unbelievable what he did. And the people honored him. Why did the people honor him? Well, you remember what uh, Charlie Paddock had uh, handed him, a little scrap of paper before he got in the starting blocks? Charlie Paddock, the uh, fastest American, had handed in this little paper with a quote from the book of Samuel, them that honor me, I will honor. I will never forget those words. I will never, ever, ever forget that movie. I had all of my grandchildren watch it several times. I have watched it numerous times. There's something about about that film that drives into our innermost being the very spirit of the Scriptures, the very spirit 
of Coach Paul right there in the New Testament, cheering us on, urging us, don't quit. Keep on. Run to glorify God before witnesses. Run to obtain the master's crown. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. I hope this has been encouraging to you today. Maybe challenging. We all need to be challenged. That's what coaches do. They challenge teams. They challenge the individual people to rise above their weaknesses to do that which they are capable of doing before God if they will just set their affections appropriately. So here's the point. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Seek the Lord with a whole heart. Do not lean under your own understanding. In all your ways as you're running the race, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your path and keep you in the lane. And his spirit will give you dunamis power to press on and to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand to stand, having your loins girt about with truth. Not just having on the helmet of salvation, but the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, all of the accoutrements for one who is going to win against all odds. Olympic faith. If this program has been a blessing to you and encouraged you, I urge you to become a partner with us because we're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. This is not just an idle message to try to help you make the next three days work. This is for the rest of your life. This is to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour because it's going to get tough. But when the tough gets going, the go- when the going gets tough, the tough will get going. Right? Become a partner. Go to our website, saveus.org. Make your generous gift there. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us and tell other people, your friends, to listen to the program and be encouraged for such a time as this. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.